There's a purity about it. One winner, one loser. It's beautiful. Enticing or infuriating, that's the promo for the America's Cup, an event that's never far from controversy. It's binary. It's brutal. It's addictive. So far, 200,000 people have spilled into Auckland's waterfront and the finals haven't even started yet. Early stats show 100 million people have watched it around the world. For more than a century and a half, it's besotted some of the world's most powerful men. Giants of business. Winners by definition. And now, for the 36th time, here we are again. But it's not going to bring in the hundreds of millions of dollars promised before COVID hit. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly and today on The Detail I'm looking at the big money behind this meagre event, the billionaires' boats and how the $250 million of public funds has been spent. But first, a bit of a tour of the Cup Village on race day. I'm picking up my media accreditation and even though our borders are closed, you get a feel for the international flavour of this event because the luxury Italian brand Prada is running it, until the final stage that is. Racing's not for hours yet, but already the bars and restaurants are bustling. Die-hard fans are milling around getting a close-up of the shiny super yachts and a glimpse of the sailors. Why is there so many The first event is the pre-race show on the main stage and I'm meeting my former colleague and friend Todd Nile, America's Cup reporter for Stuff. He's been covering the event for 20 years. Remember the legendary Bruno Trouble of Louis Vuitton Cup fame? Well, he's running this show. Can I have a quick chat with yes. you? Because I know your name from many years ago. Uh, from the, you're sort of famous, you're associated with the Louis Vuitton I, Cup. I greeted, I greeted the Louis Vuitton Cup in 1983. So while the fans are getting the sailors' autographs, I grab Mr. Trueblade. Here in Auckland in 2000, 2003, I loved it. Mm. And uh, Vuitton quit the America's Cup a few years ago after the chairman, my friend, died. So uh, we came up with this idea of having Prada involved. And uh, I think it's good for the event, so I'm employed by Prada now. Right, and so what's it? What your role now is quite different from back I'm kind, then. Uh, I was uh, in charge of the Louis Vuitton Cup. Yeah. Now I'm. Uh, I'm more. Uh, I'm the MC for this. I'm the MC at the press conference. I help with the history of the cup because I'm the grandpa of the America's Cup. <laughs> so I have a lot of stories, a lot of documents. So. Do you and, like this uh, I'm, part I'm of it? I'm nowhere on the beat everywhere. Right, <laughs> yes, that's right. And do you like this part of it? You're handing out lanyards and yes. bracelets oh, to the crowd, to I, the fans. I, I love people. Do you? That's the secret in life, I love people. Yeah. What's it like being here when the rest of the world is kind of It's very different. Uh, my family is in Europe. I have some family here in New Zealand, but my family, most of my family is in Paris, so it's very difficult what? these days. And I do not dare. I do not dare to talk to them often because, you know, it's so special here. We are so lucky. Yeah. Now the plan would be to go back to Europe. Mm. Yeah. 
So we may extend our uh, working visa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd advise you to. Um, <laughs> wait till those vaccines are really rolling out. Um, but but in terms of the event itself, how affected is it by the fact that you know that so many uh, foreigners oh. can't come here? Yes, but uh, maybe maybe the government will lose money. But uh, you know, this is it. Yeah. For the rest of the the the. the the event is a big success on television because we decided to give away the rights. We are not charging the networks to pay for the rights like they did in the past. Why, why did you decide that? Because, because of COVID? Because of COVID. Mr. Bertelli decided that together with, some, uh, with the Grand Dalton. So that's very costly, but it's, well, it is a key for the success. And those, those channels uh, showing, the, the race, showing the racing, uh, they are committed... Because they don't pay, it, but they are committed to air, live, etc. You know, yeah. so they are committed to a certain amount of coverage, which mm. is great. All around the world. Yes, and also what is good also is that we at the press conference I do a press conference every night, so we have the local people, like 40 people attending the press conference, but we have Zoom. We connect with uh, people in New York, in Europe, in Italy uh, via Zoom, so it's really great. Yeah, but and they it, feel like they are here. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I guess they do. But, but I mean, okay, so the government might lose out because it's invested quite a lot of money. What about the and other sponsors? Well, the sponsors, they paid for the event, but not enough to pay for, for Team New Zealand because one of the big part of the cost is to finance Team New Zealand. Mm. The event is not that expensive compared to the, to the, defending, to the defender. There are rumours that uh, New Zealand may take the cup away if they win. I hope it's not true. I know that they are. You mean are, take they it are, away off are, overseas? Yes, because they had, they had offers from uh, Qatar, from uh, Dubai, and I just hope they don't uh, do that. Mm. And I hope the government of New Zealand will understand how important is the America's Cup for the country, because this place here, the viaduct, would not exist without the America's Cup. I was here in 1988, I was in charge of launching uh, the big boat for Michael Fay. Because uh, my client Moet et Chandon was a sponsor yeah. that day, that year. So I came here to launch the boat and there was nothing here. But wow. but, but a very rusty shed where we launched uh, the big boat. But there was nothing around. So at least this is totally uh, linked to the America's Cup success here in New Zealand. So do you think all New Zealanders should really take this seriously and say, well, it's not just a rich man's race, which is, or even, you know, I'm not interested in it because it's just sailing. I mean, I watch it and I find it fascinating. It's a great it's sport. So Those boats are great. It's a great sport. I think there are a lot of people uh, watching on television. I remember the first day. The first day in December when we had those those boats sailing, we had one million people watching. So it's about 20% of the population here. Yeah. It's a lot compared to other sports. Bruno mentioned a bit about the finances there, the broadcast rights, etc. And those rumours about the next cup. And I'll have more on that shortly. But right now, I'm off around the back of Team New Zealand's base to the media centre, where I'm told the coffee and chocolate chip biscuits are very good. Hi, is this the main, main media? media? Yeah. Yes, it is. Just Go here the place is as quiet as a library. It's a cool haven for the handful of journalists and a real contrast to what's going on outside. 
That's the send-off for American Magic. People are clinging to the railings. They are almost touching distance from Dean Barker as he and his team head out on Patriot, flanked by support craft. But within hours, the cheers turn to sympathy from the thousands crowded around the big screens. Time is running out for the Americans, not only on this race. Right now, I don't think there's much more that Dean Barker and his crew can do to get that boat to go any faster. So it's all over for American Magic, but there's more racing to come at the end of this week with the Prada Cup finals. And then, of course, Team New Zealand gets on the water for the main event in March. But let's look at the numbers now. The government invested $136.5 million, Auckland Council $113 million. In 2017, when the funds were committed, 21 to 26,000 overseas visitors were expected to pump up to a billion dollars into the New Zealand economy. But fewer than 500 have been let through the border. Most of them are connected with the event. And you get a real sense of the COVID factor on a non-race day. I'm walking through the Cup Village now to meet Todd Nile. Well, we were going to have a little chat about this amazing super yacht that is owned by... One of the owners of the Ineos company that sponsors or I guess largely owns uh, Sir Ben Ainsley's team. And the, the super yacht's owned by Andrew Curry, who's the lesser of the two billionaires, if you like. His worth is put at about $9 billion. Uh, and he came down here on his super yacht, did his time at Queen's Wharf before moving around here, before obviously taking the an opportunity in the break in racing to go for a bit of a cruise somewhere. Yeah, how disappointing. But just along here, we can see Promise, which is which is a bit of a monster too, isn't it? Definitely a visiting one. Visiting one. So, yeah, and that is the thing, because in the Viaduct Harbour, this is where all the super yachts come to. They book a berth, and during the event, this place, if it wasn't for COVID, would be chock-a-block with super yachts from all over the world. Yeah, I mean, COVID has really taken out one of the great economic benefits of this event, which was, you know, the large number of super yachts that were going to come down here, spend money, get refits done. Uh, And what they've ended up with is a marina that's almost full but not quite, and that includes berths that are rented out to locals at at effectively a discount now. They discounted the rate, put it back to the, the pre-America's Cup rate to ensure that the place was full. So that's where a lot of the economic benefit hasn't turned up because of COVID. And that's a loss of millions to Auckland Council's development arm, Panuku. I think it's something like $3 million less just in marina revenue that they're looking at because of the absence of some of those big yachts and having to discount for the locals. But the real big loss, of course, is what those boats would have spent in the marine industry here. The ones that are here from offshore, how did they get in? Some of them are are boats that were here pre-COVID. A couple of them, such as uh, Andrew Curry's one, which has just gone out, came down with their owners, and their owners were people, because they're team owners as well, who were given exemptions to arrive in the country because of the economic benefit that they are bringing to the event. But is part of the deal that they spend money on getting work done on the actual boat? Yes, so the owner comes under that scheme for people who are important to the event and the boat comes, the minimum spend is something like $50,000 in marine work here which probably for a boat of that size 
um, isn't a lot, but that, that was a way of guaranteeing that there was benefit to the marine industry from these super yachts coming down. I think you joked the other day that it would probably be the equivalent of cleaning its windows. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure on some of these really big boats that $50,000 is going to go very far, no. you know, beyond an oil and grease or yeah, something. Changing a tap. Right, so here we are on a weekday, on a non-race day, and it's lovely and quiet, but it's a real contrast to race day, isn't it? But, and, and what is it like for you? Because you've been to so many America's Cups around the world. I guess, not surprisingly, because of COVID, this is not the busiest, most bustling of the America's Cups that I've been to. You know, in fact, it's probably at, at the bottom end of the scale from that point of view. But, you know, without overseas tourists, there probably aren't many countries that would get as big and an engaged a local turnout as Auckland does. But what is it, Todd? What is it about the America's Cup that draws so many people? See, I've been doing the America's Cup since the 2001 here, and I'm not sure that I know the answer to that question. It's, it is fascinating because there's the blend of that, just the excitement of the sporting event when the race is on, but there's also the, the sense that you know, from 1987 when we went in for the first time as a country and got to the challenge of final, that somehow we're, the, we're still the underdog, you know, and we've got all these big rich people and these big brand names and all this money that's up against us, and yet we're, we're still in with a chance every time. So I think there is that fascination, that, you know, almost uh, cliched little old New Zealand against the big guys. What's it like at other events? Because I think the thing about being down here is that you can see these sailors up close. You know, you can see their muscles, that kind of thing, which is, I know it sounds a bit weird, but it's all of that adds to it, really, doesn't it? Has it been like that at other events? No, so that, so that works better here, just the way the village is set out, that you can, when the boats go out, you can stand within a couple of metres of these boats and see see the guys up close. Um, if you go back one to Bermuda, it was a little bit like that, but some of the bases were quite sealed off, and so there wasn't that sort of village public access feel that this one's got. You go back to San Francisco, and weirdly, the, the few teams that were there were scattered all over the harbour. There was no village as such, so you didn't, you know, weren't able to touch the event the way that you can. Um, Probably my favourite event was, was Valencia, if I'm allowed to name drop back in 2007. Just because of the scale of the event, it was all in this purpose-built waterfront on Valencia, big sheds, all the team bases were there, and you really felt that you were right in the middle of something big. But this is actually the way Auckland is set out. This is one of the best in terms of being able to almost touch the event and the teams and the sailors. When I was talking to Bruno Trublet the other day, he said to me that one of his big worries is that Team New Zealand, if they win this one, could take the next event offshore. They could choose to take it, say, to Qatar to race it. That would be devastating, wouldn't it? Well, it would be, but this is kind of one of those rumours, you know, this happened after the last Cup as well. What will Team New Zealand do? And the rumours were around its sponsor Emirates that, you know, the story was that Emirates wanted to take the event off to off to Dubai. And you can kind of see an argument there, but when you look at what makes Team New Zealand what it is and the country's involvement and, and obsession with the America's Cup, it is that nationalistic thing. 
you got to, I mean, Team New Zealand is the team that pushed for the nationality rule. It makes sure that the team is not entirely made up of, you know, hired sailors from all over the world. So I, I personally feel, and I've got no inside knowledge at all, that if, if Team New Zealand was to take the event somewhere other than New Zealand, that it would be largely the death of the event in terms of the popular kind of engagement and ownership that it has in New Zealand. Mm. The other thing that I found fascinating on Saturday when I sort of really took a good walk for the first time was um, going to the media centre, which is so quiet and so empty. Mm. I mean, that must be, for you, that must be a real contrast after previous ones. Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, they set it up for about 80 or 90 and and the original rule said only two people from each media organisation would be allowed in there. And really, there's probably two three media organisations in there you know there might be seven or eight working journalists during an event plus a few photographers that come so it is very quiet it's not the place that we saw in 2003 down here or 2000 when you know the world sailing media all sat in one room and representatives from the 12 teams would also be in the centre and you know you could bounce off people and there was all this activity going on I mean if anything reflects the way COVID has affected the event, it probably is the media centre. Now, anyone who's been down at the waterfront will know that it's a work in progress where roughly $200 million of the public money has gone. Infrastructure. The government also put up about $40 million towards running the event. Here's Steve Armitage of Auckland Unlimited, the city's economic and cultural agency, talking about the construction work. Yeah, that was work that was already planned but was brought forward in the hope that we would have it completed in time for the America's Cup, so to enhance the the city aspect for people who were coming in. And obviously back when the decision was made, uh, the expectation was that we'd be welcoming international visitors in as well. So we wanted the city to be showcased to the fullest extent. Um, But with COVID, a a lot of that work was held up. So some of it has been delivered, like to Komititanga Square, which is now open to the public, and, and parts of Key Street but it's not completed in the way that we had initially hoped. Exactly what has the council done? Yeah, so if you, if you pop around the corner here um, and to the area where the, the bases are located, a significant amount has been put into ensuring that the base pads um, and the surrounding areas are able to be um, safe and secure for those, those teams to be situated. It's created new breakwaters, new spaces for us to be able to use in the future, in the hope that we can use this as, a, as an international space for on-water events. The ocean race will come back here at, at some point in time and we're in the mix for other on-water events as well outside of America's Cup. So the long-term vision for how Wynyard Point becomes a, a, a public space, a space that we can activate and utilise and open up to the public, um, is, is much closer now than it was before the event and that's where a lot of the investment has gone. But the thing is that the projections for, I mean I've seen a figure of up to $1 billion for the economy from this event, that's not going to happen is it? No, I think everybody understands yeah. that. I mean all of that work was undertaken in a very different environment. A revised business case is, is being worked through at the moment which will obviously provide us with uh, probably a, a, a bit of a harsh Reality, you know, given that a lot of that investment had already been made. Any thoughts uh, and on what clearly, that might look like? Not at this point. I haven't been close to, to that piece of work. It, it's MB's holding the pen on that, so um, I don't even. I'm not even sure what the timeline is for it. But clearly, you know, if we're in the fortunate position of being able to consider AC37, depending on how Emirates Team New Zealand perform on the water, 
that's going to focus a lot of minds. Um, I, I would like to think, though, that there was a level of pragmatism, that from a tourism point of view, which formed a large part of why the rationale was made for, for investing in the event, we can't just look at this from a, the perspective of the visitors didn't come during the event, that's opportunity lost. What we're seeing now is um, a captive audience, by and large, certainly in the Northern Hemisphere. It's winter up there. Many of them are still in lockdown. Our product is front and centre. And we are already seeing a huge amount of interest in New Zealand off the back of this. Immigration New Zealand are feeling increasing interest from people who are wanting to come down here, not just to visit, but people who are wanting to look at um, you know, high net worth investors who are looking at opportunities to come and be here. And the America's Cup is playing a role in that. So I think over the next couple of years, provided we can bank that level of interest that, that Auckland and New Zealand now has and convert that into people who come here and contribute to New Zealand, invest in business businesses, set up their own businesses here, that the long-term payoff will still be there. But what those projections look like in the here and now, I can't, I can't mm. say. But I, I do believe that, that that benefit will carry through over the next few years. What I find interesting, though, is... Right now, there is a huge contrast between race day, and I was here on Saturday for that yep. final of the um, Prada Cup semi-finals, which was an incredible day. Blue skies, tens of thousands of yes. people down here. Yep. It was, you know, there was a real buzz about the place. It was a very exciting place to be. But contrast that to say a weekday, mm. you know, here and now, no racing. It's pretty empty. The, there's not a lot of people in those restaurants and cafes. And isn't that the reality? Because there's more days like that than, than, than there are race days. It, it, today is, is probably a, a challenging example because schools are back. Um, the, the school holiday period has come to an end. So the, the, the vibrancy that we've felt through the event, even on a non-race day, is not as apparent today as it would be last, this time last week, for example. So um, I think the race day, clearly, there's a huge boost. We, we've had close to, if not in excess of now 200,000 people through the village on race days. And you know, talking to a number of the hoteliers around the city and looking at what the forward bookings are looking like for March, the pleasing thing is that's tracking up again. Auckland really, really needed this, right? I mean, Auckland has been suffering. So was there any point where, where it was considered that it should be cancelled? Oh, there were definitely some discussions in the early stages when it was not clear just how that broader COVID picture was going to look, um, where we were looking at a number of different scenarios. But, but everybody around the table from, from a governance standpoint, whether that's Crown Council or Emirates Team New Zealand and Challenger of Record, was committed to delivering the event. You're absolutely right about the significance of it for Auckland. It, it's been an absolute godsend. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Bruno Trouble, Todd Nile and Steve Armitage. Mā te wā.